0: devoted to discussing the non-profit Film Noir Foundation. I'm your host, Hagai Latsour. Get ready, Seattle! Noir City returns to the SIF Cinema Egyptian, February 16th to 22nd, with a slate of 18 classic noir films. Included in this year's lineup are seminal noirs like John Huston's The Maltese Falcon and Michael Curtiz's Mildred Pierce, as well as seldomly screened B-noirs such as Gustav Machati's Jealousy, 35mm print courtesy of the British Film Institute. There will also be the rare chance to see the Noir meets Twilight Zone anthology film Flesh and Fantasy, screened with Destiny as one complete program, as originally intended by director Julian Duvivier. Destiny is a B feature, created from a studio-excised episode from Flesh and Fantasy. The festival will close with a screening of the FNF-funded restoration of The Man Who Cheated Himself. The Felix Feist-directed feature concerns a cop, played by Lee J. Cobb, entangled with a cunning socialite, Jane Wyatt, who murders her husband. All the Noir City Seattle screenings will be introduced by FNF president Eddie Muller, the impresario of the Noir City Festival and host of TCM's Noir Alley. Our episode for this month was recorded on location at 2018's Noir City 16 Festival in San Francisco. All of the segments were recorded from the mezzanine of the Castro Theater, and due to the varying size of crowds who are around during the recordings, you'll hear more back our noise in some segments than in others. And with that, let's hear from our guests. Annabelle Zakaluk, Bill Arney, Brian and Stacey Homan, Bill Selby, Matthias Merkelbach, Greg Andrew, Mariah Gates, and Monica Nolan. She City Film Festival in San Francisco each January marks the beginning of that year's cycle of films for the FNF series of screenings around the country, as well as a new face of the year's festivals on the official posters. Ms. Noir City for 2018 is Annabelle Zakaluk, whom you just heard singing for the festival audience here at the Historic Castro Theatre, which is where she joins us now. For anyone who's never been to this festival in San Francisco before, what are the festival-related roles that you fill as Ms. Noir City?
1: Well, definitely first and foremost is being on the poster, Uh, that's number one, and uh, then it's really just ten days of being on stage with Eddie, announcing the films, drawing raffle tickets. Uh, One thing that's new this year is um, Name That Noir, doing a little trivia, and uh, just showing up and looking fabulous.
0: For people who've never been to the Castro Theatre here, it's a historic theatre which was opened in 1922, so almost 100 years old, and the size of this place is absolutely enormous.
1: It's actually pretty small for an old theater. It's a 1,400 seat capacity, but some of those old Wonder theaters are more like 5,000 and up. Um, and this one is, uh, was designed by Timothy Pfluger, who also designed the Paramount Theater in Oakland, which is one of those giant Wonder theaters, even more massive. Uh, and as I was just learning from the uh, theater manager, this was actually a second run uh, movie theater. When it opened, it was not intended to be really grand. Um, so. Obviously for today's day and age, it's very opulent, but it was uh, actually designed to look like a Moorish tent inside. So you stand on the stage and you see this amazing ceiling that is designed to look like the drapes coming down uh, from inside the, the tent. Um, and then you look outside, and you see through the paintings on the left and right walls, you see trees and colonnades, and so you you are designed to feel like you're inside this Moorish tent,
0: all built for second run films. Right. I here. know, I know. I wish <laughs> we still did that. <laughs> the so when you're on stage, you can see everyone on the main level, which is about 800 seats, and then there's also the balcony, which by on its own is 600 seats, and that alone is bigger than most movies.
1: It's true. The it's now. true. Yes. I know the standards have changed When I'm standing on stage though It's very hard to see anything Because the spotlights are pretty bright up there Being on that stage is absolutely amazing I've been coming to this theater for nine years As a patron um, Coming to Noir City Coming to just regular movies And to get to actually be on the stage is really amazing
0: So that leads into Our next question which is How did you become Ms. Noir City for this year?
1: Well, exactly that, just by showing up. <laughs> I've been coming to this uh, for nine years, and uh, I am a vintage collector in my personal life, so Noir City is a great opportunity for those of us who are interested in uh, vintage to bust out our best stuff and uh, come to the festival uh, you know, looking the part and coordinating with the years of the films, um, and so, I think I got to know Eddie over the years just by being a regular. He always gets to know the, re- uh, the regular people that come here. So um, this year's theme being more of a return to traditional noir, uh, 1941 to 1953, I think it was the right fit at the right time.
0: Uh, and a common theme from all the years that I've been coming uh, to this festival with you and the other ladies who've been to this noir city is what I've noticed, and I'm, I'm sure it's no coincidence with... Uh, Eddie, knowing all of you, is all of you are really enthusiastic, not just about film noir in particular, but just classic film and the old era in general, and that enthusiasm really comes through on stage when you're all up there, which is great, as fans, you all are just fans of these movies like us.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that Eddie is looking for someone who's also a fan. You know, that enthusiasm comes through on stage, and if you are showing, exuding, that you're having fun, the audience is going to have fun watching you they can't not. So, um, I think that's also part of it for sure.
0: Tell us a bit about making the poster for this year's festival. And, uh, so you're doing double duty on the poster.
1: (laughs) First Miss Noir City to be on the poster twice at the same time. Um, well, Eddie and Bill Selby, who is the poster designer, uh, gave me a fair amount of creative control. They told me the concept, um, 41 to 53, and I said, here are some parameters on what we kind of think uh, we'd like the wardrobe to look like, but they gave me creative control over over the wardrobe direction, uh, which was great. It was a lot of fun. And so the A girl, the classy girl, um, she's a little bit more 1941, um, thinking Rita Hayworth styling femme fatale. And the B girl, the trashy one, uh, she is more 1953, and for that I was uh, using inspiration more from uh, pulp covers, novel covers from the 50s, where the girls are, you know, they've got guns, they've got scowls on their faces, their clothing is painted on, you know, maybe it's falling off their shoulders, so just a little bit more trashy. Um, and so uh, a good friend of mine, Oren, owns Relic Vintage on Hate Street, and so Uh, He and I worked together to uh, get the wardrobe together for that, which was a lot of fun.
0: Did they set the stage for you also that it's going to be a heist of the box office yes. at the Castro Theater? So pick something appropriate for a heist. I guess.
1: Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Originally, um, for the B-Girl, they had said, make sure that you have a purse that you could stash some money in. <laughs> and then the, the purse got nixed at the last minute. But um, yeah, it was great to have Lucy in the box office. Uh, Lucy's affiliated with the Silent Film Festival. So it was a way to tie in the two festivals together, the Noir City and Silent Film Festival. And she was also wearing Relic Vintage in the poster as well.
0: Okay. And you all were there together filming the, uh, the hold-up? Yes, <laughs> we exactly. were
1: actually there together at the same time. We were not all photoshopped in. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so if this heist had happened back during that time, 40s and 50s, if there mm-hmm. was a noir city-sized crowd, everyone was paying cash at the box office at that time, that would have been a pretty good <laughs> heist to uh, you know come away with.
1: Right, yeah, although I think on the box office, Bill made a sign that says, what is it, 25 cents <laughs> the admission? Prices, so. yeah,
0: inflation, I guess, <laughs> yes. since then changed things.
1: I know, I, I just think it's funny because really she should be handing me a giant bag of change, <laughs> not a lot of, of bills.
0: Right. I guess you wouldn't have been too hard to describe to the cops if they came <laughs> later, like, well, it was a really stylish outfit she was wearing.
1: I know, I was thinking about that. If I had to run, could I run in these yeah. heels? in this dress maybe not
0: <laughs> right so let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the vintage outfits that you've been wearing so every night a different outfit and um, tell us about how you've chosen those and how you've worked with the sponsor who you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, Relic Vintage and also yeah. the year-by-year approach so you've tied that in as you've explained to us all here uh, on stage you've tied that in with the theme of the festival for this year which is going through each year
1: yeah I love that Eddie planned this festival sequentially and as I said on stage it's great to get to see uh, we enter and then exit the war years we get to see, um, I know it's arguable if it's a genre, but the genre film noir progress in cinematography, direction, acting Um, but we also get to see the fashion progress and so it was a fun exercise to sort of think of well, this is a great opportunity to plan my outfits sequentially um, to correspond with the years of of each night's films. Um, So starting in 41 and ending in 53, uh, for example, in 1947 was when Dior launched his new look uh, coming out of the war years, um, rationing had ended and he presented a new silhouette that uh, featured a tighter waist accentuated the bust line and had uh, fuller skirts and a dropped hemline so this would have been considered quite racy at the time Um, these women who've been under rationing control um, all of a sudden having excessive amounts of fabric and more luxurious um, fabrics to play with Uh, would have been frivolous. So 1947, of course, that night I wore a very iconic new look outfit with a cartwheel hat. Um, And now we're getting closer into the 50s. So obviously Friday night, bust out the very uh, Marilyn Monroe style red dress, (laughs) the big old cape. Um, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and as Eddie outed me on stage, I did plan a whole spreadsheet around it. <laughs> and the spreadsheet had um, all of the years, the titles of the movies, um, what I was borrowing, if it was something from Oren, uh, if it was something from my personal collection, uh, what time I had to be to the theater. I've been singing several nights, so coming in for sound check. Whether or not I was going out after the, the Castro <laughs> Theater, after the Noir City. So, yeah, just. Just having fun with the organizing.
0: Have you been looking to the movies in the festival specifically for any fashion inspirations? You did have kind of the Veronica Lake
1: one. Yeah, Veronica Lake Night was, was the one that I definitely looked to the movie for inspiration. And uh, Veronica Lake definitely has quite a few uh, publicity glamour shots where she's wearing a hooded gown. And I actually have a 1940s uh, hooded dress that's just amazing that I actually got at Decades of Fashion on Haight Street. And so, of course, that night I had to wear the hooded dress and do the, the classic peekaboo hairstyle that she made famous, uh, with the waves on one side of the face.
0: And back then, I'm, uh, my understanding at least, not knowing a whole lot about fashion, but a lot more about classic film, is for the actresses in particular at that time, in movies, before television, right as it was coming in, the influence they had with what they wore in the movies, setting fashion trends for the country even for around the world, was enormous.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, Veronica Lake absolutely was a a style icon. I don't know that these movies were as much about fashion as some of the bigger blockbuster movies, Um, but we've seen some amazing uh, names up there for the costume design in some of these films. Uh, Edith Head, Adrian, and they made amazing gowns and wardrobe for the the femme fatales and the lead actresses and actors in these films um you know edith head what was the movie that played last night they all ran into each other uh, i walk alone i walk alone the wife comes out and she's wearing this metallic harness thank you edith head whatever you were <laughs> thinking when you came up with that it was wonderful
0: it has been a pretty paramount heavy festival, which means Edith Head. Yes, and she was in charge there. Uh-huh. That's uh, that's been a lot of great uh, great stuff to look at on the mm-hmm. screen for sure. And You mentioned also singing at the festival, which you did a little earlier. We heard a bit of you singing uh, the great classic Laura.
1: Yes, from earlier.
0: So tell us about that. About your um, your experience singing and mm-hmm. what you have going on with that.
1: Well, specifically with the festival. Um, I had spoken to Eddie about singing on a few nights uh, leading into the first A feature. And uh, the two nights that I um, ended up coordinating with them to sing were the 1945 and the 1949 night. So, Nick Rossi, the fantastic guitar player that you heard accompanying me, uh, we wanted to choose a song that was either written in or topped the charts in those years to kind of set the stage, um, set the mood for the films that night. Um, so in 1944, the movie Laura came out and ended up being a huge hit. And so in 1945, they asked uh, Johnny Mercer to add lyrics to the song and then that topped the chart in 1945, which was the year we were looking at. Uh, And it just seemed too perfect because it fulfilled both the connection to film noir as well as uh, setting the stage for 1945. And it's just a beautiful song. Uh, And then tonight I will be singing Someday You'll Want Me To Want You, which was uh, a chart topper by not, just one but two recording artists in 1949, Vaughn Monroe and the Mills Brothers. That song has less connection directly to film noir, but gosh, the lyrics are so creepy. (laughs) And they're, they're really about obsession, and I think both the movies tonight deal with that topic.
0: That definitely sounds like it could have been written for film noir. Yeah. And tell us about the singing group that you're a part of as well.
1: Yes, I'm part of a three-part harmony sister act called the Century Sisters. And we've been singing together for about two years now uh, in the Bay Area. And uh, we do 1920s through 1940s uh, three-part tight harmony. We originally patterned ourselves after the Boswell Sisters. Um, So if you think about them, and obviously dipping into the 40s classically, the Andrews Sisters is what everybody thinks of first. So um, we actually performed opening night at Noir City on that opening Friday for an hour as people were taking their seats. And uh, we did last year as well. So hopefully this will be a continuing theme now that we'll get to uh, do opening night.
0: Where can people find more information about your band and uh, other things you have going on with them?
1: Um, we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram, and on our website, uh, centurysisters.com.
0: Great, we'll have a link to that in the podcast notes for everyone to uh, to check that out for more info. So, uh, okay, Ms. Noir City 2018, Annabelle Zachlick. thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: of Noir City ever since the 2006 Noir City Festival. If you've been to the festival and you've heard his intros, such as, It's a sunny day in Noir City, and for that, we sincerely apologize. Then you'll recognize his voice, as we'll be in conversation right here. So, Bill Arney, thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thanks, a guy. Uh, I don't know if you'll quite recognize my voice today. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm glad to be able to do this for you. So how do things work with the intros for um, the Noir
0: City shows? It's you and Eddie collaborating together, writing them ahead of time?
2: You know, it's funny. We pretty much just wing it. Um, (laughs) Some years he's had all of them written and printed ahead of time. Um, Last year he wrote them all. And, you know, it's his show, so I try to just say what he wants me to say. But this year he was completely unprepared, and I've written them. Um, so you know, you can never tell. Sometimes I show him to him, he scribbles on them and then I scribble on him some more and uh, it comes out however it comes out.
0: A collaboration just like the uh, the best of classic Hollywood, right? Yeah,
2: and it's in no way structured. <laughs> Get
0: the writers in a room and uh,
2: see what right. happens. <laughs> yeah, put put some writers in a room with one glass of bourbon and see who, <laughs> see who prevails.
0: See whose version wins in the end. So, uh, how did you first meet Eddie, and how did you first get involved with Dungan uh, oh War City Vocals?
2: I met Eddie, I'm pretty sure it was May 5th, 2005. I was living in Sam Spade's apartment, that is the apartment at Post and Hyde where uh, Hammett wrote The Maltese Falcon and where Spade lives in the novel. And that's a whole story by itself, too, but... Um, on account of that, I knew the Hammett family, and it was the 75th anniversary of the publication of the Maltese Falcon, so we put a bronze plaque on the building, and there was a um, an open house, and about 250 people came through the place. My mom had flown out from Peoria, Illinois, where she still lives, where I grew up. Uh, Eddie was one of the people that came through that day, and then there was a, a, a luncheon. Celebratory luncheon down at John's Grill, which is the only extant restaurant named in the Maltese Falcon, that was is still there. So Eddie again was at the luncheon, and my mom comes over and says, "I know that guy." And you know, I'm like, "Sure, mom." You know, <laughs> mom from Peoria is gonna, and and it turns out that Eddie had actually uh, hosted or presented um, a movie in Peoria. It was um, in a lonely place with Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. And my mom was one of the old ladies that came there and showed up with pie, believe it or not. And Eddie remembers that because, he, you know, in all his years um, hosting movies, he's never been offered pie um, before or after, I'm pretty sure. So anyway, um, at that time, he had just been at somebody's film festival that... Was new to him, and that person had a backstage announcer. So he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, "Well, of course." And the first year uh, was 2006 that, I, that we did it, January of 2006, and it was at the um, Palace of uh, Fine Arts. And um, I was just a volunteer, and then he started paying me. So you know, there was no way I was ever walking away from that so even now even though i no longer live in sam spade's apartment i i still uh come into town for this thing and and um announce for him
0: do you have any favorite screenings or favorite intros you did or favorite experiences over the years Uh, you know
2: i'll tell you I, i i the movies tend to like blur together after about like day four um but you know i'm i'm like i said i'm under the weather and i'm gonna miss some of these and one that I've always wanted to see, and I don't know why, is a Night Editor. And I'm going to miss it, and it's going to be screened. Um, my wife and I share a favorite movie of all time, and that is Sunset Boulevard. And that was screened, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. That was a big treat. It was on my wife's birthday. Uh, Maltese Falcon's always good. You know, as long as the picture's good, the the print is good. Um, when it's on the big screen, it is something special. It's not like watching it on TV at all. doesn't matter how big your TV is. and part of that is the experience of being in the theater with a bunch of other people.
0: And the crowds here in particular are enthusiastic uh, beyond belief for these particular.
2: Oh movies. yeah so. every guy with a hat in San Francisco <laughs> is here. It is the best dressed crowd in in any theater.
0: Can you tell us, then, maybe just a little bit, like a short version of how you ended up uh, living in Sam Spade's Uh, apartment?
2: Well, um, I came to the Bay Area from the University of Illinois with a one-way plane ticket, two suitcases, and one job interview. And I was staying with a friend down in Menlo Park, a guy I went to college with. And I got the job. Um, I I arrived in mid-August. Mid-September, I got the job. And I'm paying this guy off, you know, back rent and back grocery money until November. In the middle of November of 1981, I got the first paycheck ever that I never owed anybody anything out of. It's only happened once since. (laughs) So I decided, you know, this means I've made it. I've arrived. I'm not going to be going back to Illinois in a bus. So I bought a hat to celebrate the occasion. And it was a really rainy winter, so uh, there I am storming around town in a uh, f- gray fedora and a, and a trench coat. So people start telling me about Hammett, and I took Don Heron's um, Dashiell Hammett walking tour. And the apartment was, uh, the, the building anyway, was one of the stops on the tour. So fast forward 11 years, and I'm breaking up with a girlfriend. And I need a place to live. I'm coming down Hyde Street in a taxi, and I see a for rent sign on the building. So I pulled the cab over, uh, wrote the number down, and the next day I was in there, and it was the very first unit they showed me. I lived there for 16 years, longer than any place ever in my whole life. So um, that led me to, you know, that uh, it took me, I don't know, months before I ran into the tour guide again, Don Heron, he was still giving the tours. And he introduced me to Hammett's daughter, Jo, who's just an amazing person. And she had five kids, and they're all wonderful people, too. And got to meet and get to know a lot of Hammett biographers and, um, you know, all, all those high-class people. So uh, that's pretty much how I got involved with that. And, you know, I thought, wow, it's really cool. I I have the, the keys to Sam Spade's apartment. I own the place. Well, it owned me. I couldn't leave, and it was only three hundred square feet, and I had two one-way streets at the corner, of two one-way streets, with an ambulance coming down one direction and the fire department coming from the other direction. It's like ah, five or six uh, sirens a day at least on a slow day, so it was uh, very much inner-city living, but um, I did get a lot. A value out of living in the place and met a lot of wonderful people. And um, I tell you, there's nothing creepier than reading that novel in that apartment. Great. Thanks very much, Bill Arney, for joining us. Uh, I'd just like to thank you, Hagai, for um, having me on your podcast here. And I I hope everyone within the sound reach of my voice will come to at least one film at the Film Noir Festival here at the Castro Theater.
0: Noir City in San Francisco brings people from all over the country and all over the world to experience classic noir with big audiences on a big screen, just like the movies were seen on their initial release. Brian and Stacy Holman have been traveling from Jacksonville, Florida, to Noir City every year since 2009. So how were you all first inspired to come all that way for this festival, and what's been bringing you back all these years ever since?
3: Well, I guess I first heard about the festival. My brother had read an article about it and as soon as he told me about it. I just said, well, we have to go. There was just no other, no other choice in the matter. I think because we both love classic films and the chance to see them on a big screen in 35 millimeter definitely worth the trip. And I've always had a fondness for San Francisco since coming here to visit my aunt and uncle as a kid. So it's also nice to have a, a good excuse to come back here. Yeah.
4: Thank
5: you, Stacy. My favorite thing is being able to see these classic films on the big screen and also with There's a whole bunch of other people that are that passionate about them and that excited to be here. And also, I I, I love the city, too. I love San Francisco. I love the Castro Theater. Um, Basically, what I like to do um, during the festival is go hiking and walking and sightseeing throughout the day. And then uh, just have a quick dinner and go out to the movies at night.
0: Had you all? Had you all ever been to this theater, to the Castro Theater, before you started coming to this festival?
5: No. You hadn't either. Um,
3: Not to the Castro Theater. Uh, I'd been been to San Francisco as a a child. One thing also that we like about coming back is, um, since the definition of noir is kind of slippery, it it can include a lot of different types of films that aren't, uh, so it's not the same boring... Um, not boring, but it would get boring watching the, the same type of crime or caper film over and over again, but there's so many different variations on the, the different themes, and also including foreign films, which is, are really difficult to see in a theater on the big screen.
0: Do you all not have as much um, opportunity to see older movies in theaters back where you're from? Yes, we
5: definitely don't have as much opportunity for that. Um, no. Jacksonville is, it's just not a place that has the kind of like revival um, cinemas, and we've got some great theaters there that run uh, independent films uh, but mostly they're contemporary so yeah this is really special
3: yes, we, we are fortunate to live right near a, a theater that actually has two 35mm projectors and they do screen um, films occasionally like last year they had a Ro- Robert Mitchum Retrospectives, so we got to see Out of the Past, uh, Night of the Hunter, the one from the 70s, which I can't think of the title. Like Friends of Eddie Coyle. Yes, yeah. Friends of Eddie Coyle. So yeah. Yeah. we have some chance, but it's it's a bit rare. You know, like, yeah. A couple times a old year. Old the
5: greatest thing about San Francisco is even coming to the Noir Festival and seeing all these great films, like it, there was a rainy day like a couple of years ago, and we were, we decided to see a movie anyway, even though like we're here and seeing movies every day. And throughout the city, you can just pretty much choose anything, you know. So we we saw The Treasure of the Sierra Madre during that festival, and it was one of my favorite films. And it wasn't even you know part of the festival, but I guess what I mean is here in the, a big urban area like San Francisco, you can find anything, and like there's never um, a time where you can't. Uh, figure out something to do
0: and yeah I mean even with places that have really good repertory theaters like for me, the D.C. area there's great stuff there um, but there's really nothing like
6: the Castro this is about as good as it gets. that's and beautiful great. Mm-hmm. The huge crowds. And the so
0: let's talk a little bit about um, the opening night of the festival. So as we're recording this, it's the start of day two. So last night, uh, as we record this, was opening night, which was a double feature of "I Wake Up Screaming" and On "The Living. And there was a special guest to introduce, I would to help Eddie Muller introduce "I Wake Up Screaming," starring Victor Mature. It was his daughter, Victoria Mature, which was a wonderful surprise. So what did you guys think of her? She
5: was great.
3: Yes, she was. She was quite engaging and animated and quite a bit younger than you would think, <laughs> yeah. um, but he, he was quite quite a bit older when, when she was born, I guess, but she also uh, serenaded us with a song that's so recurrent on a lot of 20th Century Fox films, and that, that was nice.
0: Yeah, she's a professional singer, and um, most of Victor Mature's at Fox, so I kept screaming, cry of the city, uh, kiss of death. They all used the street scene theme by Alfred Newman. And then eventually least, there was an opera written which added lyrics. She sang for us on stage just right at the end. And Eddie didn't even beautiful. know
5: she was about to do that, so he was totally surprised and really happy yeah. about it, too. Yeah, that was fantastic. She's an amazing singer. Yeah. And uh, as Brian just
0: mentioned, if you were there in the audience and you were kind of doing the math, like, wait, is she his daughter or his <laughs> granddaughter? Yeah. So it turns out he was quite old, just she said he was in his sixties. Yeah. So a nice detail I liked. I'm sure you all enjoyed too. And he asked her, "What do you think of seeing Dad so young in these movies?" And she said, well, "I never knew him back at that age. So it's great, kind of getting to know him seeing his old films, which is really
5: wonderful." Yeah, and she talked about um, just like some of those facial expressions and gestures that he does in his films. Like she just remembers them being as being a little kid and and getting, the, <laughs> getting those gestures and facial expressions. Right. She said usually when she was doing something wrong or something. Yeah,
0: yeah,
3: yeah. this mad face. Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah you get life it's imitating art, or art imitating life, back and forth there.
5: That was a great surprise to have a surprise special guest like that. It was really
3: And I think last night also kind of highlighted the uh, thing that I like a lot about the festival, is it's a chance to see... Some of your favorite movies on the big screen, but then also smaller films um, like Among the Living, which would be difficult to see at at any time. And that you can see this nice 35 millimeter print of this kind of crazy little noirish film. That's like one of the main reasons I just have to keep coming back, just to find those little gems.
0: Yeah, that was an odd horror noir hybrid with Albert Decker Susan Hayward earlier for her. She was great.
5: Oh, I was gonna say I, re- I really love the theme this year too of um,
6: taking
5: taking it chronologically. The two films each night are from you know the the like 1941, 1941. last night, and that the you're doing an A picture and a B picture uh, from that year. I think that's a cool theme, and I think I think a lot of people are really excited about that because even though Brian was saying the great part about the festival is that you can the the genre is so broad that it can encompass so many different um, types of movies, even foreign films and things that you might not think of noir. But this festival is almost like getting back to the basics, so a lot of people are really especially excited about that but again they're not going to be the same like huge ones that everybody knows and has seen they're going to be from the period uh, but possibly something new to discover
3: yeah I think one thing that keeps us coming back also is the different themes every year like the first year I came was newspaper noir which was a lot of fun and uh one of my favorite themed years was the foreign noir one because there were so many French films and Spanish films that, that I had never seen. And um, another great thing is the restoration thing. We know the money that we spend buying tickets and so forth goes to restore films and put them back into pristine shape. And then every year there's a, a grand showing of the restoration like this year's The Man Who Cheated Himself which I've only seen on a public domain, pretty crummy quality DVD, so I'm really excited to see uh, how it's supposed to look.
0: Yeah, if you get things, uh, the best screening or best image you could possibly get (laughs) in these movies is what you get at these festivals, especially this one in San Francisco. So, okay, great. I think we'll leave things there. So thanks again, Brian and Stacey Holman for joining us here.
5: Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, yeah, thank you. I've really been enjoying the podcast so far.
0: All right, thanks for the plug. (laughs) Okay, thanks again, guys. Mm -hmm. Bill Selby is a graphic designer and the art director for the Noir City Film Festival. He's been working with the Film Noir Foundation ever since the Noir City Festival first started in San Francisco back in 2003. So Bill, tell us about how you first met uh, Eddie Muller and first started working with the Film Noir Foundation.
7: It's sort of crazy. I actually met Eddie through my wife. My wife was teaching a multimedia studies uh, course at San Francisco State, and Eddie was one of her students in the late 90s. And she just adored him. Uh, she discovered that Eddie was a huge boxing fan, as she was. And they kept showing up at uh, at boxing events. until the point, like, like Eddie just said, are, are you following me? You know, like am I being stalked? Anyhow, uh, my wife, Chris, uh, she knew immediately. I moved up here. We, my, my wife and I met in 1998. And she knew right away, like, you've got to meet this Eddie Miller guy. So uh, she took me to his 40th birthday party. That's where I first met Eddie, and it, it was, you know, immediate, uh, an immediate connection with the guy. We had so many shared interests, and uh, I, I had actually, I had a copy of his book, Dark City, but I, I, you know, had never met him before. So we hit it off, and he was just toying with the idea at the time. Uh, of uh, creating a, a website to help him, you know, sell his book, and he, at the time, the, of course, the book was called Dark City, and it was like a toss-up. Do I want to call the website Dark City, or do I want to call it Noir City? It was almost like a, t- a coin toss, but he thought that Noir carried the word noir carried more uh, heft, so uh, he wound up calling the site Noir City, and I, wanted to, I was actually uh, trying to design my own website for my artwork at the time. I wanted to learn HTML. So I just said, Eddie, you want me to design your Noir City website for you? And he said, yeah, sure. So we got together uh, several times over at his place in Alameda. And he kept giving me uh, wonderful 8x10 stills and poster images and graphics that we could plug into the, the very first site, which was extremely antiquated by today's standards. It was nothing like, like the site that Eddie has now. that Noir City has now. But for the time, it was pretty cool, you know, with the animated gifs and stuff like that. And uh, so that's how Eddie and I met. And this was probably 1999, 2000, something like that, uh, a couple of years before the festivals even started. I hadn't
0: realized then that the Noir City website and that name, that phrase, actually preceded the creation of the film festivals, which was a few years later. Yeah. So it took its name from that name that you you had already chosen for the site. Uh-huh. And then ever since the Noir City Festival first started back in 2003, uh, you have been designing the posters, which are always a uh, signature element of the festival and of the satellite festivals as well around the country, uh, always featuring this Noir City uh, for that particular year. So. Tell us a bit about those posters and the process. What goes into designing them and the ideas and everything that goes into that.
7: Well, you know, the first couple of years that we did it, uh, what two thousand three, two thousand four, uh, we didn't
0: even have the concept of a digital city back then.
7: Uh, what we did was sort of like repurpose uh, previous posters. Like I have an image from uh, one poster or another, and uh, for like the first, uh, the first poster. The second poster was just a riff on Confidential Magazine. And, uh, but for the third poster, Eddie came up with the concept of let's create a, a woman, a sort of that represents the festival, a femme fatale, but let's have her, let's have her be Ms. Noir City, that's MS period, Ms. Noir City, but we don't want a woman in jeopardy. We want the woman to be all powerful. She's the one that has the control.
5: You know, she's the one that's on top. She's the one
7: that um, uh, the wheels all the power. It's the men are in to her. So we never wanted to have a Miss North City in any sort of jeopardy. Uh, we always wanted her to be attractive and in full control of the situation. So and Eddie, immediately, it was like he was really prescient for what's happening now. You know, with uh, with the Me Too movement, he realized early on we've got. To respect women, and so every image that's ever been on the poster uh, has always had the woman in a, a sexy pose, perhaps, but uh, but never in jeopardy. You know, she's always on top of the situation.
0: And tying in with one of the big attractions of film noir for people ever since we've been uh, the concept of film noir has been around and people have been getting into it is that you have, certainly with the femme fatales, you have these very devious women, but they're very powerful. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, it's great to watch those characters and feel like the women have this real power at a time when in American movies in particular, 40s and certainly in the 50s, most women in, in movies didn't have that much power the way they were portrayed. The
7: yeah, exactly. And and for, for us at the time to come up with that concept, uh, it was unusual. Because, I mean, if you look at all the old paperback book covers or pulp covers... It's the woman that's being, you know, in, like in bondage in the dungeon or something. <laughs> or some guy holding a gun on her or strangling her. It's, we just wanted to go in the, complete, in the completely opposite direction. And as far as finding models initially, I went on, a, on, on like a local model site called Model Mayhem. And uh, would maybe whittle it down to like maybe a dozen likely candidates, which Eddie would choose. We'd basically have a casting call. We'd have our photographer shoot images and just see what what they'd be like to work with. And Eddie would always make the final choice. Uh, Recently, the festival has grown to the point where so many women come dressed up in vintage uh, attire. At this point, for the past five or six years now, Eddie, all, all he's had to do is like, approach someone who like regularly attends the festivals and basically say, hey, how would you like to be Ms. City?" <laughs> and so it's like we find, we, we don't even have to go to model agencies anymore. We find the, the women like show up uh, fully decked out in, in vintage clothes and makeup. And so the choice has been, it, it's... It makes my job easier because I don't have to like go beating the bushes for uh, to try to find a model to, to wind up being on the poster. Yeah, what's also cool is that a lot of the, the recent choices of models, they
8: uh, the women,
7: they, they, they can act, they can sing, they can dance, they perform. Uh, it's, it's really quite wonderful. Uh, Like, one of our models that will come to the festival, Edie Lavelle, was a fantastic burlesque dancer. You know, so she wasn't just uh, on the poster, but she was actually performing at uh, the Noir City nightclub that we had a few years ago. Uh, So so for the past several years, uh, the women that have wound up being Miss Noir City are uh, triple threats. They're not just on a poster, they act, they sing, they dance.
0: One of the common themes in recent years on the poster, maybe not every year, but in a lot of them, has been working Eddie himself into the poster as well. And I uh, can't help noticing that he's usually either already dead or about to be done in by the femme fatale who is miss noir city so what's been your thought process of uh, how you work that in or what the like backstory is going to be of each year
7: well the very first poster that we did with uh, a miss noir city uh featured shiva sharifi in a sort of a, a, a riff on uh, rita hayworth and gilda and eddie just had you know eddie wanted to have a portrait taken of himself that night and it was just sort of it, it 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 sort of happened organically that night after we finished shooting shiva uh for the setup for the poster we uh and he just again this guy he just comes up with the concept he said look i just want to be i'm tired i want to lay down just I, i'm dead okay and uh you know, we use I, I have a gun uh, like a 38 caliber police special that we incorporated into several of the posters. So we had Shiva hold a gun and, and he just was relaxing, lying on his flat on his back that, you know dead at her feet. and it, it just and that's that, that was the first poster uh, the darkness coast to coast I think it was probably 2005 or something like that uh, that featured Shiva and Eddie dead. <laughs> on the first poster. And we've incorporated Eddie every year since then in some devious, fun way. Uh, it, it's been great. Like, this year, he's actually on a poster in the marquee at the Castro Theater uh, in one of the posters uh, we shot out on the highway several years ago. You just... All you see of Eddie is his hand sticking up out of the back seat, the rumble seat of the car that's out on the highway, it's sort of suggesting that, yeah, he's, he's dead. <laughs> uh, it's fun to... Uh, but like last year's poster, uh, we didn't have a dead Eddie. We had Eddie, we featured Eddie. Like uh, our Miss Noir City, Greer Sinclair, was uh, had just finished robbing a wall safe that's open behind her. She's removed a, a portrait, uh, of a Mr. Moneybags, like a fat cat, and set the the, the portrait on the floor, and, and it's Eddie, it's made up to look like you know Mr. Monopoly, Mr. Moneybags on the, it's in the painting. I made made it look like a painting. So he's not actually dead in that one, but he is snuck into the actual poster image.
0: The look on his face, in that one seems to say, "What's all this, then?" or something like that. Yes, yeah. he's realizing, "Oh, I'm about to be robbed." But it's, uh, like, uh, it's almost like
7: it's almost like 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 early Mad Magazine, you know, like uh, like like where's or like where, where's Walter? Where's Eddie? You know? uh, it's always a fun part of the shoot to try to conceptualize that
0: great so we've had a lot of fun with the posters over the years and we'll be looking forward to that uh, for many years to come i'm sure so bill selby thanks again for joining
6: us thank you very much
0: Matthias Merkelbach is the creator of the German language website Der Film Noir DE, the largest European database for Film Noir and Neo Noir. He is visiting Noir City in San Francisco for the first time from Stuttgart, Germany. Matthias, welcome.
4: Thank you very much for welcoming me, Hegar.
0: So tell us about your website and how it got started and what it's, uh, what it's all about.
4: In March of 2010, it got started, and at that time, I got really interested in doing a website. A friend of mine was doing some cover artwork for rock music posters. And so I got the idea, why not using his talent and creativity and design a database for film noir in Germany, which didn't exist at that time. So I started my writing in, in, in that month, and um, a couple of months later we went online. with approximately 100 reviews about various film noir's I've seen until that time.
0: So you had been a film noir fan for a while at that point?
4: Uh, that started early in my life, to be uh-huh. honest. Um, when I was even pretty young, my father had two favorite TV shows late 60s early 70s screened in germany as well these were 77 sunset strip Mm -hmm. and perry mason so whenever he spotted a humphrey bogart alan ladd robert Mitchum movie within the program we as a family were sitting together evenings and we were watching these movies so i could watch movies like the big sleep and dark passage um, the desperate hours at at even a young age the blue dahlia the glass key even but when i grew up i just stepped into that punk and new wave movement uh, during late six, late 70s early 80s I do not look like that (laughs) much at all today. But uh, in 82, the whole counterculture and subculture in Germany were really orientating backwards towards two interesting movements in history. One was the area of Dadaism in Vienna, and the other one was, because of that nihilistic approach, film noir. So at that time, in the early 80s, I watched movies like Blast of Silence and D.O.A and i figured that was really something different than the big sleep or the glass key and i figured wow there were really serious movies made in the era of film noir during the 40s and 50s in the us so i got deeper drawn into that
0: so in the 80s really that in was Germany in
4: the 80s on, when i discovered yeah. the b movie section of film noir and i really got interested in also directors, actors, script writers, and I really wanted to know more about that because I figured out these movies we were watching, or we could watch, not only for sentimental reasons, they're looking good, black and white, old costumes, all these kind of things, but they still had very much a relevance to them when I watched them way back then. I felt very much related to that movies, also from an early 80s perspective. So that was in a new attraction to me though i was just somehow attracted to these movies film noir in general before
0: so in the 80s in in germany on tv and in theaters they were starting to show more of the classic noirs it starting to become more uh, popular just, or that was more of a niche that thing
4: that was it was definitely a niche thing and um, it was not that easy to get hold of that movies Way back then, I remember there was a film festival in Berlin where I was living at that time in, in 88 because of the 100th birthday of Raymond Chandler. So they were showing a couple of movies, film noirs, that were based on his novels or even um, in, in, in some cases because he was just also working on the screenplay or were just related to, to, to the movie. And um, so that was pretty much an opportunity to watch these movies, but in that time where you were just relying on TV and maybe some theaters that were showing older movies, which Berlin was a pretty good place for, uh, by the way, uh, that was difficult to, to, to watch, yes.
0: So in more recent years, when you started your website in the early 2000s, going into around 2010, has Film Noir started to become more well-known in Germany? Yeah, popular? I
4: definitely I definitely had a little pause with Film Noir. I was just uh, having some books on my shelves, like the first edition of uh, Dark Side of the Screen by Foster Hirsch and also some German books about Film Noir. So it, I, it was always this kind of keeping in touch. But when the whole DVD... Uh, and the new digital format start in, in, in late 90s, early 2000s, I figured out now is the time to get hold of everything that you missed before for various mm-hmm. reasons. So I just bought my first DVD in 2002, and from 2003 onwards I started really watching all these old movies, various types of movies, but then over the years I really got stuck more and more in, in, with that film noir thing. And so it was approximately six to seven years before I decided, hey, I have to do something with that all by myself. And so I started the Film Noir website, the resource. And also at that time, I mean, within Germany especially, nobody was doing anything like that. Just a few web resources that were there which were related to crime novels, also darker crime stuff. Also there was one which is called Mordlust, it still exists today, which is also referring a little bit to the era of film noir. They were presenting film noir and neo-noir movies, um, but not that many. Okay.
0: And uh, then what led you to make the trip here to Noir City with the oh, Film
4: that I'm, I'm in contact with Eddie and I'm connected to the Film Noir Foundation since 2010. So, and it was always my wish, of course, to attend the Noir City Festival in San Francisco. So for... Seven years I was just observing how the Film Noir Foundation and Noir City are developing so from uh, from the far distance of Stuttgart Germany because my own web resource is completely non-commercial and it's very much a niche in Germany. So to see now and to experience now that I'm here, what film noir means in the U.S. and in San Francisco is something completely different than you should have in mind if you just take a look to, to what is on right now in Germany. Since 2008, one film d- distributor do have a little series which is called Film Noir Collection, and they just published 26. DVDs up to now within the span of 10 years. So that at least is something, but that already shows that it's just a little thing. There is hardly any distribution of classical cinema within Germany. So not really that much. And the only distributor who is, for example, publishing German movies, is located in London, so mostly of these German movies that are produced and that were produced in the fifties and forties were not related to noir at all. But there is not a huge market for these classical cinema at all. So, because it is non-commercial, because I'm a professional in, in another area, I had to wait a couple of years before I said, now it's the time. There is one noir film festival in the Czech Republic. I was there three times already.
0: Okay. Uh, what's your What's been your impression so far of the Castro Theater here and More City Film Festival?
4: Of course, it a is wonderful. There. Wonderful, attending this festival um, to meet with all these wonderful people. I w- I'm connected with for a couple of years now to meet them here in person to exchange opinions. I do not have that many opportunities at home, and therefore I'm really enjoying it a lot. And also to see these movies. Uh, as a 35 millimeter print on the big screen it's a totally different experience than just to watch it at home on a small screen to be honest most of my movies I'm not even watching at home mostly I'm doing this while riding on a train because okay. I'm just I'm going all over Germany professionally so that's an easy opportunity being completely alone completely by myself I could do that on a train right. Uh, what were your
0: thoughts on... So last night, we're recording this at uh, beginning of day three of the festival. And last night, um, day two, the evening movies, there was Shadow of a Doubt by Hitchcock and then Address Unknown, which is a very, very powerful movie from World War Two, directed by William Cameron Menzies, about, um, based on a 1930s novel, which was very successful. And it really focuses a lot, unusually for the time, unusually for Hollywood movies during World War Two, on... The effects and the centrality of anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany in the 1930s and the 1940s is a really powerful story and a brilliant movie. Uh, What did you think about it?
4: Uh, One of the most interesting things for me when I started my website is to figure out what Germany missed during the war and not only during the war but also after the war. I mean, the World War II ended in 1945, so many of the movies that were done in the 40s were never shown in Germany for obvious reasons. And um, so some of them were shown after. So there were a couple of movies that at the end of the 40s, beginning of the 50s, were shown that were made it in 42 or 43 or 44. Um, the Glass Key, for example. Had, this was shown also in movie theaters in Germany. But there were hardly any movies shown that definitely draws its attention to the Third Reich. The Germans really would wanted to exclude all these problematic themes. They really wanted to, especially at the beginning of the 50s, they wanted to enjoy life again. Uh, Let's get rid of that dark past. Let's not take an eye on that. We are fed up with it. That was a little bit the the philosophy of that time, especially in all these entertainment areas. So many of these movies were never shown. If you just take a look when, for example, movies like The Stranger where you do have first-hand source material from the concentration camps, or a movie like Ministry of Fear were first shown in Germany, very often late 60s TV appearance, so for the first time. So Address Unknown yesterday was a movie that was completely unknown to me, also for the reasons that it's probably never been shown in German television at all. So therefore I was very grateful to watch these, this movie and I was deeply impressed by the cinematography and also by Paul Lucas, who was just playing the main role, which is an actor I always enjoy. And also what I found very interesting was a very dark and very spine-clinching climax of that movie. That was really something... Even for Hollywood at that time, unusual. Maybe it's one of the reasons why that movie, maybe even not even the US, was that successful at the time.
0: Yeah, I hope it becomes better known. It's really powerful. It's one of the best movies, I think from that era um, about those themes. And uh, the book was very successful and has actually been produced as a play all over the world in recent years, last 10 or 15 years, so with a lot of success. So hopefully the movie will become much better known. So, uh, okay, Matthias Merkelbach, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Oh, thank you very much for having me here on the microphone. I did enjoy this very much. Okay, so, thanks See again. you then.
6: Our next guest has been attending the
0: Noir City Festival here in San Francisco all the way from England ever since 2013. His name is Greg Andrew. So Greg, thanks for joining us.
6: You're most welcome.
0: So, uh, where in the UK are you from, and how did you first hear about this festival, or how did you first get into film noir?
6: Uh, I live outside of Oxford in a very beautiful part of the UK called the and how did I get into film noir? Well, I guess growing up as a kid, I used to watch you know, the black and white films on the TV in the afternoons. And that's something that always has always stayed with me. I've been interested in that. And I think my interest was redeveloped when I heard on BBC Radio 4 some Raymond Chandler uh, dramatizations, or the dramatizations of Raymond Chandler stories. And it kind of escalated from there. So what's been
0: the, the status over the years for you of um, of film noir in the UK as far as are people really into it, or was it something that was kind of more obscure that you found out about over time from
6: other sources? Or? It's definitely something that's more obscure. Uh, although having said that, I think there's growth in, in interest in film noir. Uh, in recent years, there's a new television station that's appeared called Pictures, which specializes in uh, old British cinema, and that's been great, I I watch that a lot. Uh, We also have TCM UK, which is nothing like uh, TCM in the US, I'm afraid to say, uh, as it shows predominantly Western, but they still have some very good quality films.
4: Great, and so how did you
6: first hear about the Noir City Festival and Film Noir Foundation and what brought you to start coming to this festival in particular? Well I first found out about it, as I said, when I was developing an interest following you know, what I'd heard on the BBC in terms of radio plays and I was searching the internet and I found out about the festival probably two thousand and ten or something and I thought to myself it would you be nice to be able to sort of go across to San Francisco and, and visit and see what it was like. Um but then it wasn't until sort of 2013 that I really made the decision that, yes, this is something I really have to try. And so, yeah, so I packed my bags and came over here for the first time. I had no idea what to expect. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was so much fun. The people were so nice. And the quality of the films is just amazing. So, you know, I, I, I just keep coming back again and again. You got hooked. And- <laughs> oh, totally. Totally hooked. Have you ever been to San Francisco before then? Or to no, the US? never. No. I've been to the US, yes, but only on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a big adventure and it was so welcoming when I arrived. I didn't know a soul. And I've made so many great friendships. Uh, you know, I really look forward to seeing people and we have our little cat shopping. January, February each year and what you've been doing for the last twelve months and you know, we take time out from, you know, seeing the films to have lunch or and uh,
0: what did you make of the Castro Theatre when you first came here?
6: Oh, it just reminded me of the way Picture Theatre as well when I was a kid. And I just love it. It's, it really has so much charm and so much old world atmosphere. It's perfect for the for a festival like this. Really, really great. Not many old movie palaces like this one still stand. Oh, that's such a shame. This is beautiful, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's a shame to hear that.
0: So, what did you make of one of the years that you've been coming to the festival, twenty fourteen? The theme of the festival was international bar was a really great festival uh, what did you make of that having come from the uk where i'm sure a lot more of the older european films get i
6: was i think that's one of the best years that i've, uh, I, I've seen since this is coming uh, the quality and the breadth of films was huge uh, prior to that time my experience of being with films made in the uk or films made in the united states Um, seeing the films by Kurosawa seeing some of the Scandinavian uh, the French, the Italian, the German absolutely blew me away I was just really astonished by how the theme of noir had been interpreted differently and whilst some of it was really entertaining. Some of it was quite heartbreaking as well, and you know, I, I think there—it it just goes
3: to—it showed
6: me that skilled directors exist all over the world, and uh, that their interpretation of events that were happening at that period was very similar, it didn't matter where they were based. And it was a great education for me. Thank you. Is there any way that you've been trying or will try to spread the gospel of noir back in, uh, back with your fellow Britons in the UK? Well, definitely uh, something I like to do. Uh, and prior to coming to this festival here, I sort of reached out to a few people. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking more and more to people about that. In fact, a couple of years ago, I had a birthday and was able to show Sunset Boulevard in a local hall just to some of my friends and neighbors. And I wasn't sure how they received that, and uh, I thought they might be like, incredibly bored. But they loved it; they thought it was great. In fact, just before I came, I told people I was coming again, and they were suggesting to me that I should try and have another screening of another classic film, um, you know, particularly from war. They'd love to; they'd love to attend again. So, yeah, I think there's there's scope for that. So, yeah, uh, and I think in a wider um, Across the UK, I think I think there's more and more interest, growing.
0: Is there a little more awareness thereof? There are great classic British film noirs, some of which have shown here, like in the International Noir Festival the year here in 2014. There was "It Only Rains on It Always Rains on Sunday" and "Brighton Rock," which are both really brilliant movies. Um, oh, they are. Yeah. So, always. are those kind of better known in the UK, in your
6: sense? Or oh, definitely. Um, you know, I think I think some of some of the key uh, noirs that we would consider to be international. I mean, The Third Man is considered a a British production as well. Uh, They are are known, they're recognized, but I think they're just considered to be old films. I don't think people don't quite understand the concept of noir in the UK as, say, people do here, but there are certain people within, you know, who like the old films that do recognize what noir is, but it's not a huge number of people. So, as a genre, it's probably still a little bit unstructured but it's definitely part of the older film, you know, aficionados, uh radar. Okay, great. I think we'll leave things there. So, uh, Greg Andrew, thanks again so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Mariah Gates is an assistant manager at Turner Classic Movies, and she's on the social media teams for TCM, Filmstruck, and Noir Alley. So TCM has had a table here all throughout the Noir City Festival uh, at the Castro Theater, so tell us about that and about what you all have been uh, up to behind yes, the Yes,
8: so um, this year we, we've had Eddie on... With Noir Alley every Sunday, we wanted to um, bring sort of all the experiences that we've done with Noir Alley over the years to the fe- over the years over the year to the festival. So that includes the 360 uh, VR experience. Uh, we have branded goggles that you can use on your smartphone and enjoy. You can do the 360 without the goggles. Um, it's a seven-part web series. It's about three to four minutes per episode, and you can do it, you know, just with your finger, or you can do it with your mouse on desktop but with the goggles and your smartphone you get to really immerse yourself into this 360 uh, crime and it's great like bullets whiz past your face you get to go into the scarlet uh, ladies lounge and it's just really really fun extension of the noir alley universe we also have at the table our um, comic book where Batman and Eddie team up to solve a crime Um, That was a a collaboration we did with DC Comics last year, and it's beautiful and amazing, and it was so much fun working with them and working with Eddie to get, like, he, um, I'll never forget, he wanted his hat just exactly right, the way he wears his hat, so he had notes. (laughs) So the hat is exactly how he wears his hat.
0: True to life, right? Yes. Uh, Where can people find the virtual reality Noir Alley? Uh,
8: So the virtual reality, you can get it either by just going to YouTube and typing in Noir Alley. Um, or Noir Alley 360, but you can also go to noiralley.tcm.com and you can find it right there.
0: So you used to live in San Francisco and you've been to this festival uh, in years past. So tell us a bit about that and your own personal history with film noir.
8: Yeah, so um, I guess it goes back to uh, 2010. I did not live here at that point. I was living in the back of my parents' house and I realized that I hadn't seen enough noir um, and I found the list, I think it was IMDb's top 50, and I'd seen, like, 12, and I was like, well, that's not enough. So, at the time, Netflix still had a lot of noir on it, um, streaming, and TCM, obviously, was always a great resource, so between TCM and Netflix that year, that was the first year I did Noir November. it was literally me, and, um, I watched, was that, 38 films in that month, and, um, one of them I had to get sort of on the... The black market because it wasn't available anywhere, but someone in England found uh, an English DVD and like got it to me. It was really nice of them. Uh, that was Body and Soul. I think it's more available now, yeah, John, John Garfield, Garfield Film, but at the time right. it was like that's the only way I could find yeah. it.
0: And you all have showed it on TCM. Yeah,
8: yeah. So that was a great year. So then the next year I went to film school, 2011, and that's when I moved back here to San Francisco. And, um, that's how I found out about Noir City, but I had moved here after it. So I was like, oh, I missed it. So then 2012 was coming up. It was Noir City 10. It was this big celebration. and uh, They were having the nightclub, and H. Dickinson was going to be there. And around Christmas, so it was after Noir November 2, leading into Christmas, um, I missed the Christmas Noir. I didn't know about that. I missed it. I was like, oh. The and they, Noir City Christmas. Yeah, the Noir or City Christmas. I missed, the
0: poster this country, I missed that. I was
8: like... Uh, you know not on the the ball um but I found it in time to get like they had it on sale where you could get if you got it before Christmas it was like $80 or something for the whole 10-day experience plus you got to meet Angie and I was like done um so and I was in film school at the time so I didn't really have a job and I was I had I could had all my nights for free because I was in class during the day so I went to all 10 days um that's how I met Eddie Eddie actually um gave me he didn't give me but like the first time I ever had bourbon was with Eddie here at this festival that is now my go to drink um so I you know I'm grateful for him to it, it, exposing me to that wonderful alcohol um <laughs> it's so good I didn't drink it cause um I think it was my dad's favorite and I was like oh if my dad likes it I'm not gonna it's an old person drink or whatever I don't know I was dumb cause it's a great drink um And that was an amazing experience, and I got to talk to Angie Dickinson about eyeliner, which uh, you can't see my face, but I always have eyeliner on, and she told me that um, she complimented my eyeliner, and then I complimented her eyeliner, and then she said it's the only makeup she still wears consistently, and I was like, yes. And she told me she wears it to bed, and I was like, so do I, because you don't know what's going to happen. You might wake up, and you want to make sure you have your eyeliner on, and I was like, good. Glad I'm not the only one. So that The was, next
0: scene of the movie might be right when you wake you up. You never
8: so know. Exactly. So, yeah. the, you know, that was a really wonderful experience and, you know, it was totally worth the $80. And um, I would have paid more than that, but I'm glad that I only had to pay that because <laughs> I was a poor grad student. Um, and then I lived here for a whole other year, so I got to go to Newark Christmas the next year and then Newark City 11. And then I left for Los Angeles and it was a whole different experience in LA um, but I did go to new- Noir City LA a few times as well when I was down there. It's very different it's a good theater, the Egyptian, but it's, it's not the Castro so it's not the same thing
0: Castro is kind of one of a kind um, you mentioned the Noir of Ember so the concept of that is just watching all Noir and November yeah, Noirs that so, are new to you so
8: the original concept was I had, a li- I had that list and it was like watch this list with me um, nobody did it. I think one person watched Laura with me, <laughs> and we live tweeted like Laura together, and that was that was it. And I was like, okay. Um, so the next year, I sort of made it a little looser, and I was like, just spend the whole month of November, each day watching a, a new To You Noir. That's how I do it. But um, several people who've done it now for many years. It'll be this coming November. It'll be the ninth year. Um, do a mixture of ones they've never seen before, and just revisiting ones that they love. Now, what I I do is I watch. Uh, is it 31 days in November? 30 days. I don't remember. 30. Yeah, 30. Okay. Um, <laughs> it all goes by in a blur. I do 30 new ones, and I revisit. Um, and every year, I, the two films I 100% always revisit is Laura. And this is the ones I, I discovered for the first time that first year, and I rewatch them every year. It's Laura and Sweet Smell of Success, and then sometimes I'll rewatch other ones if like TCM showing it or if I feel like it. But those ones I always rewatch because they're they're the best. That's
0: a good pair to return to. Um, so Noir Alley on TCM with Eddie Muller is on hiatus for this month for February, but uh, it's coming back in March with uh, an additional time slot. So tell us about that. Yes.
8: Yeah, so right, um, the first season, as we called it, was um, at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. So it was very early on, on Sundays. On right? Sundays, and uh, we had a really strong turnout, regardless of how small, how early it was. Like a lot of Californians would come up and grumble and drink their coffee and watch it and it was great and I will say I woke up every Sunday for it and it was a struggle even for East Coast 10am so you know but it was kind of it almost made it more worth it because you like really had to earn like watching Eddie Um, and he's he always like he he wakes you up like he's so dynamic Um, but coming back with season 2 we'll have an extra screening so now it'll be on twice a week on the weekend, Saturdays, midnight, which is technically Sunday, but midnight, Saturday, um, but 9 p.m. for Pacific Coast. Um, and then it will air again, same episode, at that same 10 a.m. time slot. Okay. So you get two chances um, to watch it, depending on if you're a night owl or uh, an early bird. <laughs>
0: Do you think there will be a split between, like, maybe East Coasters will stick with the Sunday morning and the West Coasters will gravitate more to the Sunday night? Well, as
8: the social media person, I'm very interested to see because I um, help run sort of the Twitter party that happens every Sunday morning. Um, A lot of the, they'll do it on their own, but I like to, as the Noir Alley account, come in and interact and retweet. Um, It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if I can stay up that late. Um, at midnight my time um, I've done it I used to sometimes do um, Underground Which is actually At 2am And I've done that okay. A few times And one time I live tweeted The big parade Silent yes. film At 4am um, wow. So I've done it It's just I don't You know So I'm interested To see Like do Are we going to have A 12am 9pm Twitter party Saturday night Also Or is the Sunday one Not going to You know Are people not going To watch it then I, I don't know It'll be interesting To see Um or are people going to watch it both times because, like, there's no such thing as too much Eddie, so, I don't know.
0: Absolutely. We'll be looking forward to it. Okay, Maria Gates from Turner Classic Movies, thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. So I'm going to be the patsy. Well, get this. I've seen you knife every guy who's had the stuff to threaten your job, but my back's too tough. I'm going up to the old man and take you out on the same limb that I'm on. Who do you think I've been with for the past hour? He wants no part of you. No, oh, Mike, Mike, don't... Don't worry. I just wanted to see if the yellow went all the way through. It does.
0: Monica Nolan has written about film and culture for a variety of publications, including a number of articles and reviews for the Film Noir Foundation's Noir City e-magazine. She's also a longtime San Francisco resident who's been attending the Noir City Film Festivals since the very first one in 2003. Monica, thanks for joining us.
9: My pleasure.
0: So how did you first hear about the Noir City Film Festival when it was just beginning?
9: You know, I I can't remember, but the thing is, I was coming, I've been coming to Castro, the Castro, and going to rep shows around town, the Castro, the Roxy, film festivals, and so it was probably just, I didn't even realize it was its own standalone festival, it was just part of the Castro programming to me back then, because I'd pick up the Castro schedule and look through it and make my, you know, mark my movies to see for that month. Yeah, so that was probably the first year. I remember I did see Nora Prentice that year. Um, That was the first more memory I have.
0: Were you into film noir in particular before that? Or did that series kind of catch your eye and say, oh wow, this looks pretty interesting? Maybe there's a lot of movies I haven't seen.
9: Oh, I've always been into old film. I mean, that's, uh, I was, you know, I went to pre code stuff at the Roxy back when they did repertory programming. I watched. I used to set my alarm clock when I was a kid to 3 a.m. to catch movies, back was when that was how you watched old movies. I grew up with old movies. My parents, you know, were both depression kids and went to the movies and passed that love on to all of us. I remember my dad doing imitations of Errol Flynn, um, in that, oh, some dreadful war movie that he was in. I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, Something Dawn. It was all about the poor young soldiers going off to war. But uh,
0: the Dawn Patrol.
9: Dawn Patrol, thank you, yeah. So it's, it's it's film, and then, you know, I went to film school, but really it started, it started way before then. It started when I was 10,
0: so where do you think Noir City has been fitting in with the local culture in the Bay Area of repertory cinema and film festivals, which has always been a very strong, active culture in this area?
9: Yeah, I mean, uh, Noir City is really unique because it's it it has so much more of a community feel than just going to a rep film or even than a film festival in a way. I mean, these are there's there's sort of um, uh, a nexus of sort of like. It's super fun, it's, it's, you see people that you only see once a year, there are people I've met through Noir City, and it's also, there's sort of always a political undertone to it, which I think um, Eddie brings to it in some part by contextualizing stuff really well, and, and also because you're just, it's a way of looking at American history that that just starts to resonate with the present in really interesting ways, and I was thinking, it's also we get to re-see films. Like, uh, you know, I saw um, "Try and Get Me" the first time, and I was blown away, and then I saw it the second time, and I was still blown away, but also noticing new things about it. So it's kind of it's 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 a film buff festival. It's a uh, it's super fun because of all the, the raffles, the dressing up, you know, all of that, and and then there's always sort of this. I don't know educational side to it.
0: So yeah, you think it fits well with the Bay Area local culture because these movies, in a lot of ways, were for their time in particular. They were really subversive, in a lot of ways right. that people didn't even realize. maybe. Right.
9: Though, though, in in other ways, they weren't. You know, I mean, it's like we looking at something like um, the Charles McGraw film last night. Uh, Oh, uh, the threat. The threat. Thank you. See, I, I mean, it's like that. This is the end of the home stretch <laughs> festival, where the everything starts blurring together. But I mean, in a way that the subversiveness or the radicalness of that was how violent it was. But it's a it's total pro-police. You know, in a way, almost pro surveillance, like go helicopters, you know, looking for the you know, the guy um, looking for Charles McGraw to pull him in. So it's it can go either way. But I think it's it's just always really um, it's just interesting to see him. For me, I mean, tonight, it's like I look for those little moments where today and call you know, Southside one one thousand the the woman racketeer who says I'm the independent type I want to do the buying like I don't want to be a kept woman and that I love those moments it's like it's not I, she gets punished in the end she gets you know caught shot sorry I'm giving this all away Spoiler you know part. I know sorry <laughs> she gets falls off the bridge but it but it's still it's that moment when she says that is just that those are the moments you live for
0: so you get those themes and those characterizations in war movies i think as i talked about with some other folks in this podcast particularly with the female characters that were pretty rare for other movies at the time yeah. it really stands out in these films in particular
9: yeah yeah in this in the one we just saw um, with the the you the- know accused African American maid. Yeah. I mean, even though it's so creepy that she's played by a white actress in blackface, it's still it is an acknowledgement of, you know, racism in America. I mean you hear the guy call her a nigger, you know, which is like, ah, you know, it's like so so it's so there's always yeah, it's always these moments and then sometimes like with Cry and Get uh, Try and Get Me, it's like a whole movie really does pulls it off really well. And it's also you're just, you know, the the thing about the low budget films is you're seeing cityscapes that are gone. It's it's so it's it's almost a documentary thrill to see these these cityscapes that are no longer there, you know, particularly LA but San Francisco as well.
0: That was the underworld story you mentioned of the um, the young black woman who's accused right. in the town. Um, it seemed like, did, were they really even trying to make her look African-American? Oh, that so, was like, interesting, they wasn't They kind that? of just sort of went with it and like, yeah, you're supposed to believe that she's back.
9: You know, she was reminding me of another black performer, and I was like, oh, did they pick her because she resembled that? And then I thought, oh, and her name is Marian Anderson? Were they thinking people would think... <laughs> Would confuse the two. I don't Mary, know. Yeah. Yeah, Mary Anderson. Mary the actress. Anderson. Yeah. Mary sorry. Anderson, right. So yeah, I don't know. That was that was bizarre. That yeah. was very bizarre.
0: It was a beautiful preservation print they showed of the Underworld story, which is a very powerful movie. Yeah. Really well done.
9: Yeah. No, it was a it was really nice. I mean, but for me, the the highlight of that movie was Howard De Silva, and that's that's like the highlight of. All, all of these movies is you just start noticing these character actors who reappear over and over and are so good. You know, it's like in a, in a way I want the um, the the film noir that is just cast with Howard De Silva and Alicia <laughs> Cook Jr. and Frank <laughs> Phelan and all those fantastic actors. You know, and some of the women who I've never seen before, Humphrey Bogart's wife in Conflict. Um, Rose Hobart was fantastic yes you know great great performances all over the place so that's it's like and you keep discovering stuff I mean I'm a huge film buff I've seen all the classics I've seen The Big Heat you know Sunday Nights film a zillion times and I haven't this this festival is so exciting because I haven't seen probably about half of them and that Eddie manages to do that year after year is amazing to me
0: And one thing that keeps those of us who come from out of town, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. I've been coming every year for 12 years. One of the main things that keeps us coming back is the audiences are so big and so enthusiastic at this festival. Right. And that largely comes down to the local film community. Most of the people coming to the movies here are the locals. That's so true. So if we were coming from out of town and there were very small crowds it wouldn't be as attractive a right. thing to come to but i mean the local crowds just show up every year so reliably it's really amazing
9: yeah and there and there's such discerning local crowds because i love i mean one of the things i love about seeing the movie with a huge audience at the castro is you have moments like you had with Jealousy, um, which was, what, Wednesday night? I can't even remember. But it, where where Karen Morley um, gives that speech about, I, I loved you enough to kill for you, and I love you enough to kill for you twice. And it's just, she's not even the lead, but she was the strongest performer in the film. And after the speech is over, the whole audience burst into applause. And it's just like, that's, those moments give you chills. It's like you don't get that. You know, those are only moments that happen when you're in a movie theater with a crowd of really discerning, knowledgeable filmgoers. I, rem- I remember when, when hearing something as I like walked up the aisle at a film fest at one of the Morris cities, I heard somebody in the audience say, people were clapping for actors I'd never even heard of, you know? <laughs> it's like, that's kind of the, that, that is kind of the zeitgeist of Morris City.
0: Definitely. One of the highlights every year of coming here is seeing who gets the applause and right. who the audience really gets into, whoever yeah. has a, a really good moment or a really good performance in a, in a way that stands out right. in these yeah. movies. So. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, Monica Nolan, thanks so much for joining us uh, here on Noir Talk.
9: My pleasure.
0: Thanks again to all of the guests who joined us from Noir City 16. Our podcast is available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You can receive all the latest news about the work of the Film Noir Foundation by signing up in their email list at filmnoirfoundation.org. You can also get updates by following the FNF on social media, at Film Noir Foundation on Facebook and Tumblr, and at Noir Foundation on Twitter. And if you have any feedback for the podcast, please rate and review our show on iTunes, or you can contact us via email at podcast at filmnoirfoundation.org. We'll be back next month with another episode, and until then, thanks for joining us here on Noir Talk.